0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Horse.com's Ask the Vet live event on healthy barns and stalls, brought to you free by Sweet PDZ. Visit them online at www.sweetpdz.com. I'm Christy West, digital editor and producer for thehorse.com, and joining us today to answer your questions about this topic are Aaron Denny-Jones, DVM, owner of Florida Equine Veterinary Services in Claremont, Florida, Melissa Millerick-May, MS, PhD, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Michigan State University and Bob Coleman, PhD, PAS, Equine Extension Specialist and Associate Director of Undergraduate Studies in Equine Science and Management at the University of Kentucky. Thank you all for joining us today and before we start I'd like to tell you that we received several hundred questions before this event so clearly we will only get to a fraction of them but we've picked out several to try to cover all the topics of interest related to healthy barns and stalls. Once we're through with those, if we have some time left, we'll move on to the live questions. If you would like to ask a question, you might want to hang around for a little bit to see if we already have a similar one, and if not, please type your question into the chat box at the bottom of the control panel on your screen. Now for our first question, we've got a question from Christine in Maryland, who would like to know, do horses even need to be put in barns in the wintertime? Dr. Denny Jones.
1: For that uh, question, it depends on the environment that you have surrounding your pasture or paddock. The barns provide a wind block, which in the wild they would have a line of trees that they would normally or a cliff or a uh, with some sort of windbreak that they would get up against. That's the best kind of uh, environment that they should be in. So it's not necessarily a barn with a covering, but something that would block the wind would help them with their body temperature, so that would be the most uh, beneficial thing for the horse. As far as, do they have to be in, in, in the winter? No, not necessarily, but in certain temperatures they do need some sort of windbreak or block, especially if it's a wet rain or a wet uh, weather um, problem that you've got going on, wet snow, wet rain, uh, that kind of thing. So it would really depend on the temperature and the environment.
0: Gotcha. And our next question is from Mary in Vermont who would like to know, how can you tell if your barn has adequate ventilation and how much fresh air does a barn need?
2: That's a tough question to answer, um, <clears throat> especially for, for those of us who who don't have equipment to measure things like air exchanges per hour in facilities. What I would say is if you can maximize ventilation by opening doors and windows, if you, if you can feel a decent breeze in the summertime um, heading down the aisleways, then you're, you're doing a good job. Um, just like with real estate where, um, you know, the, the phrase is typically location, location, location. Well, with horses, with regards to um, the respiratory system and minimizing airway inflammation, it's
0: ventilation, ventilation, ventilation. <laughs> good to know um, Virginia from Ontario Canada would like to know what exactly is a draft people of course talk about drafts in barns how much is too much air when horses are in in the barns for many hours in the dead of winter
2: see it's very it's very difficult to, to sort of quantify what's a draft is it a breeze um, or what exactly is it is it a brisk wind um, People tend to manage from the aisleways, and unfortunately, if an individual is standing in the aisle and they feel a, a decent breeze coming down the aisle, unless there are windows in the back of the stalls, it, it's, the air current doesn't just take a right angle and go into the stall. Um, in the measurements that we've taken within stalls, it's very rare um, based on the fact that most stalls have high center partitions. and. Semi solid fronts, maybe with bars up towards the top. Um, there's very little airflow within the stalls and an active breeze, like I said, unless there is a source of natural ventilation somewhere within the stall, like a window. Um, my thought currently, based on the studies that we've done, is to maximize the natural ventilation within the stable. If you feel that your horses are getting cold, um, and you want to protect against that, then blanket your horses. Of course, we, we need to um, keep in mind that obviously we need to do things to, to keep the sources of running water open in our barns. Maybe sometimes it's not easy to leave um, all the doors and windows open, so you just, you just need to do your best in order to maximize ventilation.
0: Gotcha. And you've done quite a bit of ventilation in air quality, research on air quality in horses here in the last few years, haven't you? Yes. Mm-hmm. And how, how do you do that exactly? Uh,
2: basically what I've done is, is taken um, monitoring equipment that was commonly used within stables, or within stables, I'm sorry, within industry um, to do occupational exposure studies as well as environmental exposure studies, and we've adapted those um, to use in the stable, to do indoor air quality studies in the stable. Very good.
0: Alright, our next question is from Tom in Wyoming who would like to know speaking of ventilation and ventilation sources, how important is bottom ventilation in each stall, say lower down on the walls or whatnot, and what is the best way to achieve this?
2: Ventilation in the bottom of the stall is very important um, and maximizing that is is wonderful if you can. Um, obviously if your horses are fed, um, On the ground, your horse's nostrils are close to the ground quite a bit of time, quite a bit of the time, uh, as well as because of the urine um, and possible buildup of ammonia within the stalls, as well as um, uh, off-gassing from manure and so forth, it's it's best to maximize ventilation. Um, With solid-fronted stalls, sometimes people do this by um, using some sort of a stall gate or a um, um, webbing across the front of the gate. If you're constructing a new stable, you can buy stall fronts that are graded in themselves. Um, so if you, if you can do something like that, again, stall gate, that opens up at least uh, the doorway area of the stall. Or if you're, if you're building a new facility, um, open-fronted stalls with, with grates are a good way to, to handle that.
0: Gotcha, you. And Susan from North Carolina would like to know if roof, and roof ventilation and fans can help. Absolutely. The best thing you can do is have
2: top-down ventilation because what that does is that pushes particulate matter down and away from the horse's breathing zone or the area around the nostrils. Um, <clears throat> ventilation or fans that actually draw air up from the ground through the roof and out or through high points and out actually bring gases and particulates up through the breathing zone and then out. Um, Fans help if you keep them up and off the floor. Um, I've seen brackets mounted on the top of stalls that where you can angle fans such that they blow um, down and within the stalls um, to push that particulate matter away the worst thing that you can do is put a fan on the floor because what that does is that re-entrains all the particles into the air and and, and keeps it suspended.
0: Gotcha. And somewhere along the same lines, this isn't technically a question about barns and stalls, but Diana in Georgia had a question about keeping dust down in an indoor arena, so we're speaking about kicking up dust in, in buildings. So we'll go ahead and go with this one because I think it's one on a lot of people's minds.
2: Um, in my mind, one of one of the most cost-effective as well as most effective ways to manage dust is just using water and a little bit of water. I'm not talking about making mud, not talking about making puddles, but if you can use just a regular lawn sprinkler or um, a hand sprinkler to water down the arenas, um, that's your best bet. It's very, very effective. Understanding in the winter it may be difficult because we've got concerns over freezing, but if there's a way to water down the arenas and then drag the arenas or condition the arenas so that it mixes the moisture around um, evenly and you don't get pockets of, of um, I guess, damp areas that would freeze and become slippery or hard, then that would be the best way to do it. Um, if you don't want to use water, there, there are um, other commercial applications like um, using chloride, calcium chloride, which is sort of oil-based. Um,
0: and there are some other dust, um, commercially available dust suppressants. All right, and before we go on to our next question, we're going to, going to go into a brief poll um, for our sponsor, do you believe that ammonia, <coughs> excuse me, ammonia, ammonia odor is unhealthy for your horse to breathe? If you wouldn't mind taking a moment to answer that, and we'll uh, move on to our next question. Um, so let's see, we're going to go on to Deb in Ontario who would like to know how dangerous is structure, structural mold to horses? not talking about mold in, in hay and feed and whatnot, but in the barn.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, structural
2: mold is, is likely to be as dangerous to horses as it is to humans. Um, it can be difficult to control, particularly in, in very damp, um, humid areas. Best thing that you can do is just use a little bit of, of bleach, not not a lot of bleach, but a little bit of bleach or um, an antibacterial soap and with a sponge wipe down the walls of the stalls and other wood surfaces uh, that may have mold regularly to, um, to eliminate it. That said, you don't want to add so much water such that the area doesn't dry because it's, it's obviously the water content that's allowing the, the mold to grow on
0: wood, same
2: with um, concrete
0: blocks. Gotcha. All right. and uh, before we go on to our next question, I'd just like to give you the results of our poll. Um, For our poll, 93% of you say yes, you do believe that ammonia odor is unhealthy for the horse to breathe. 2% say no, and 5% say maybe. Uh, Our next question is one that was uh, asked very, very commonly, um, which is this one particular one is from Chris in Massachusetts who would like to know how detrimental is the smell of urine in the barn or ammonia, and should I invest in products to reduce the smell when using any, well, any particular bedding.
2: Well, the the smell of urine is a result of the ammonia content in the urine. And to put things in perspective, a, um, a little bit, <clears throat> ammonia is a strong irritant in the airways. And there, from an occupational exposure standpoint, there are some pretty rigorous um, exposure limits. That said, at about the point that you can smell a strong smell of urine throughout the barn. Um, you really need to consider frequency of cleaning of the stalls and replenishing of um, bedding in, the, in those stalls. Probably the best way to do that is to clean your stalls at least daily, if not a couple times a day, clean out the wet spots if the horses are in throughout the day and replenish um, whatever bedding you're using, whether it be shavings or straw quite regularly. I don't know about products to reduce the smell. We haven't studied that. However, frequent cleaning is, is probably your best defense.
0: Alright. And uh, Debbie from Alberta would like to know if overhead hay feeders are detrimental to a horse's respiratory health.
2: I'm not quite sure what we're talking about um, when we're, we're thinking about overhead hay feeders other than things like hay nets and hay racks. Uh, if Hay nets and hay racks are great in terms of um, limiting the the amount of hay that's wasted. However, dry hay, depending on the quality of hay that's fed from hay racks and hay nets, can liberate very, very high concentrations of particulates, again, right in the breathing zone of horses. If you think about the anatomy of the horse, the nostrils are, are right there positioned by the mouth. They're large. And as a horse grabs a bite of hay and pulls their head backwards, it liberates all of that dust right into the right into the breathing zone of the horses. When performing the monitoring, um, we would get exceedingly high concentrations of particulates that would be um, something that that was not tolerated in an industrial environment. Um, So if you must use hay racks and hay nets, I would suggest wetting down the hay first. That doesn't necessarily mean soaking it for a half hour, just wetting it down, will um, virtually eliminate all particles in the breathing zone of the horses. That said, the horses need to consume the entire amount of hay. It shouldn't be left sitting there, as if it is left sitting there for an extended period of time, you can
0: develop mold then. All right, and uh, Deborah and several people asked, can a horse develop COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or you know, heaves or any other number of names for a horse that has a you know, increased respiratory effort on a chronic basis? Can a horse develop this problem just by being in a barn that is not well ventilated or is dusty? Well,
2: I think there are two components to that. Um, just like humans that have um, asthma or other hypersensitive type diseases, there's probably a combination of a genetic component as well as an environmental exposure component um, to this disease, not necessarily just one or the other. Probably the best thing that you can do and what I've found with my horse that I adopted that unbeknownst to me um, has heaves, is to keep a log. Similar to what a pediatrician would advise a parent that has a child with asthma, if you keep a daily log of your horse's respiratory efforts, whether or not they're exhibiting signs of uh, significant respiratory effort, whether that be coughs, if you hear an audible wheeze, um, there's maximal respiratory effort, um, any of the other signs, mucus, in the uh, visible mucus in the nostrils, and Potentially decreased performance, just decreased performance. What you can do is make a log of whether your horse was in that day, out that day, um, exercised that day, what they were being fed, what the quality of feed and bedding was for that particular day. As we all know, that it changes as we get new um, bedding and feed in. Sometimes it's not consistent, as well as what was going on in the barn that day. Um, were they dragging arenas Was hay being thrown down from the loss? Was somebody um, very active in, in taking care of spider webs and cobwebs and sweeping aisles and um, those types of things? Also, keep track of the season. You can even go online to see what your mold count was for the day, you know, what the air quality index was. And pretty soon you may see a pattern of um, activities or other environmental factors that trigger that look to see to, as if what they trigger your horse's symptoms. That's actually what I did with my mare and found that it was absolutely um, seasonal and she actually reacts to ground molds that occur late in the summer, early in the fall. And in her case, I actually need to bring her indoors that time of year to help her out. So that's, that's one thing that, that can be done that can be very helpful.
0: Gotcha. I'll need to keep a diary. Keep a diary. <laughs> there you go. And that actually kind of leads us into the question that many people had, which is how to manage in COPD environmentally, which is what you just told us. Find out what the trigger is and manage that rather than just trying things to see what happens, maybe.
2: Right. I mean, I, I would think the biggest thing is ventilation. Um, if your horse seems to do better outside than inside, try and keep your horse outside as much as possible or vice versa. Um, Water is your friend. Before you go crazy, um, sweeping and raking, I always dampen them down a little bit. Um, Never, ever use leaf blowers inside of barns, not only for – I understand that that's done somewhat frequently – don't use leaf blowers within the barns. They're not made to be used inside. um, Not only can it be hazardous for your horse's respiratory health because you're in training those very very small particles into the air? Um, but it, it's also not good for your health as well. The other thing to think about is again, don't manage from the aisles. Just because the air appears to be clear in the aisles doesn't and and smells nice and clean, um, that may not be so in the breathing zone of your horse's stall.
1: Um,
2: The other thing to think about is just because you can't see dust, just because there's not a cloud of dust while there's an activity going on does not mean that there are not harmful concentrations of particles in the sizes that reach the lower airways present. We need to keep in mind the fact that those particles that reach the lower airways that trigger this inflammation are a size range that are, are not easily visible by the naked eye.
0: Gotcha. Very good point. We're going to do one more brief question on air quality before we shift gears and get into some other topics. Uh, Nancy from Pennsylvania would like to know if humidity levels in the barn during the winter can become a problem. Um, I'm unsure if we're talking about too
2: much humidity, too little humidity. Um, If there's too much humidity, then you're going to get mold growth on the walls. Um, Too little, then you get a lot of dust, I guess that's a that's a that's a tough one to deal with other than i guess the best that you can improve the ventilation by opening stalls or doors and windows is going to help you either way with that humidity level
0: Very good. All right, we're going to shift gears a little bit and move into an area where we had quite a number of questions about stall bedding and footing and cleaning. Um, Linda from California would like to know, is it important for a horse to have bedding at all? Some, Some people often say that it's better for a horse not to have bedding, particularly if the horse is not spending a lot of time in the stall, maybe he only comes in to eat.
3: That That's a really <clears throat> interesting question, and I think a lot of people might look at it and say, well, he's not bedded when he's standing outside, which certainly would be true. I, I think it really depends. How long is the horse going to be in, uh, and what are you expecting the bedding to do? I mean, if it's to help you absorb urine and, and be able to uh, give the horse somewhat of a, a fairly clean environment because you can clean up much easier, then I think it's probably uh, something that you have to make the decision on. I think it also probably depends to a certain degree what the horse is standing on. Uh, If it's some of the the high-quality rubber mats that we have available uh, that have a fair bit of cushion, that's one thing, but if it's a pretty solid, uh, potentially an asphalt or even in some cases that it might be almost similar to concrete, uh, you might want to have a little bit of cushion. But we still have to think about how much cushion does the the horse require. Um, I know I've been in stalls that are extremely deeply bedded, and I'm not sure that it adds more comfort to the horse because I think it gives them a much more difficult time to uh, find an easy place to stand. Uh, We get a little anthropomorphic, I think, and and some people want a nice soft bed for, for themselves, but they're also not standing on it all day long.
0: Gotcha. Um, John from Massachusetts would like to know, what is the best flooring and subflooring in a stall? We're going to start deep and come back all the way up to bedding. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, I mean, that's where we should be starting because we need to think about um, what we have them standing on. Uh, that's also going to be an aid to a degree in, in how it's going to drain. Uh, there may also be some situations and some considerations as to where your stable is, where the barn is. Um, and what you might need to do as far as controlling any of the uh, urine and moisture going through into the groundwater. Uh, there are potential places that uh, you might need to control uh, any any of the runoff or any of the water flow, and certainly from a urine standpoint. But I would want something that, uh, kind of a rock base that, that's got some drainage to it and then cover that with uh, there's a wide variety of things and I think it depends, you know, kind of what your horses are doing, what what you want. Uh, People have used, you know, the old age-old standards from years and years ago was, you know, a good clay flooring uh, that could be packed fairly hard that people felt would be easy for the horse to stand on. Uh, Took a lot of maintenance Uh, and then now that we've moved into opportunities where we can use the rubber mats, um, I think something that will drain a little bit underneath that that is well-packed, very level, uh, and that we can keep those rubber mats either flat if that's what you're going to use or at least be able to have a flooring that is fairly firm and stays pretty level for the horse and is easy to maintain.
0: Gotcha. <clears throat> and let's talk a little bit about storm about stall mats. Uh, Sue from Illinois would like to know: Are mats better or safer or healthier than just a dirt a dirt floor of some sort?
3: Probably a lot easier to keep clean, and probably a lot easier to uh, <clears throat> to have a, a good. Again, if the the subfloor under the mat has been well prepared and put in right, they're they're probably a lot easier to. To do from a a cleanliness and and maybe be able to contain things a little bit better than just putting them on dirt. Uh, That's not to say that there's probably been a lot of horses that have been maintained on, you know, well-packed. Typically a clay floor that that can be well packed and then bedded appropriately on top. Uh, One of the things though that if you start disinfecting and washing down walls and, and it's a clay floor Uh, It's going to get pretty muddy, and it's going to take a long time to dry out, and to be something that you're going to be able to use again.
0: Gotcha. Before we move into our next question, I'd like to uh, put out one more poll for everybody to take a look at. um, What type of stall deodorizer product, if any, do you use in your horse stalls, barn, or trailer? Now we'll move on to what was probably the most popular question that we got for this session, variations on this question. What is the best bedding for stalls?
3: And I have to use my standard student answer. It depends. (laughs) Which, I mean, it, you know, what's available? Uh, Depending on where you live, we might want to say that there's some of the, the wood products might be the best, but if you can't get them, uh, that's pretty limited. Uh, There are places, and I, I grew up using uh, cereal straw, particularly, you know, wheat straw was, a bedding of choice, and part of that was because they lived in an area where a lot of wheat was grown and, and wheat straw was readily available. Uh, so we could get good quality straw that was clean, it was mold free, typically dust free. <coughs> uh, harvest season tended to be a pretty dry time of the year that they could put up good quality straw. Uh, so I think what you need to look at is what's readily available that is of good quality that's not going to be moldy and dusty, Uh, has some absorbency to it. Uh, The palatability issue uh, can be a big problem. Uh, Some of the cereal straws and you may have a horse that just gets a little bit on the board side that is going to start to eat the bedding which could cause you some problems. You don't want them consuming their bedding to the point where they won't eat anything else that you're feeding them and then you may have some uh, serious issues relative to uh, potentially impaction if they're eating too much of a straw type bedding. Uh, we do see places where people like to use the grass bedding and that goes exactly opposite to what I just said. They like to have some of the grass straw there uh, typically as long as it's not a, a, a fescue based grass straw because then the horses that are kept in do we eat a little bit Uh, maybe don't eat a whole lot of it, but kind of pick through it and and they seem to find that that the horses are a little more content and maybe don't have some of the other things. Certainly you'll have horses that'll be allergic to different kinds of beddings and unfortunately that ends up being something that you need to try. Uh, There are some of the wood products that you probably want to avoid. Uh, I think some of the cypress uh, products may cause the horses to react to that a little bit more than they will to some of the other things but you know clean dry uh, free of mold is is what you want to be looking for
0: and of course not black walnut
3: absolutely not black walnut <laughs> you, and, and, and there i mean that's a really good point christy because if you're getting uh, you know you may be able to get some wood product bedding uh, from a local mill that And if they even think that they have black walnut, I think you need to to find a different source because it is hard to tell. Uh, There are some suggestions that it looks a little bit different, but as you're bed in the stall, uh, you may get a fork full or a a wheelbarrow full that is all black walnut, and then uh, you're going to find out about it after you've already had the problem. So if you think that, that a mill is doing anything with black walnut, I think you need to go look at another source, because the only level of black walnut in in a wood product that I know of that is safe is zero.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, Thank you for getting into that. And what about uh, things like pelleted bedding or some of the other alternatives that are out there?
3: Um, I think there's some really good alternatives in it. And the pelleted bedding, uh, the limited experience I've had with it, it it seems to work really well. Uh, It does People that are using it typically, the ones I've seen it are using it when the, the horses are in the stall for a minimal amount of time. They're not in for, uh, like that one question about in in the barn for 13 hours a day. Must, much less than that, but uh, very absorbent, uh, easy to handle, uh, and works well in in you know minimal stall situations. Some of the other ones that have kind of come and gone, um, we still see a little bit. Some of the paper products that may be available to you. There's some of the, the the cardboard uh, products are being used, seem to be very absorbent. Uh, Don't appear to be terribly palatable, uh, but your supply might be a little bit of an issue. And one that that was around a while ago, kind of comes and goes, haven't seen very much of it, is the the paper shreds. Uh, Certainly for a horse that might have some allergies to bedding, that that might be something to certainly look at. Uh, hard, a little bit hard to handle. Uh, I don't think many of our typical muck forks are designed for handling shredded paper and uh, I think some of the people have got it figured out, but you got to be really careful if you have that lovely uh, Tobiano paint horse with a lot of white and he lays down in the Sunday, <laughs> Sunday comics, he might come up a little on the colored side and uh, not the color that you would like. So
0: You put away a paint and come back with black beauty,
3: huh? Uh, that's right. <laughs> Maybe something else. I don't know. A little hard. I've actually seen that once in my lifetime where somebody had a fairly light-colored horse that uh, did get a bit of the comics on, uh, on his head. <laughs> well, perfect.
0: <laughs> well, we have a question from uh, one of our live audience. Uh, Catherine would like to know if you've ever seen horses eating pelleted bedding.
3: Actually, I have not. Uh, but that, I would be the last one to say that they won't eat it. Uh, <laughs> my suspicion... It, you have learned in the last few years that, that while we think horses won't eat things, uh, I would not put them past them because one of the things I have learned is they're horses and Lord knows what they will do.
0: Yeah, They will eat just about anything. I think uh, yep. Aaron has a good example of that, a surgical case of a horse that ate a whole hay net. Yes. <laughs> it's a pretty spectacular one. Yes. Uh, we have uh, another question related to betting from an audience member. Alexis, um, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, Kate, says black walnut is toxic but what does it do? And I suppose we weren't very clear on that.
3: Oh, it is very toxic and that, that is the thing we should have mentioned. It um, will cause horses to, to, uh, to founder uh, and it, it seems to be, uh, whether it's contact, exactly what the, uh, the toxin is, there's some suggestions that it might be uh, a, a product called Juglone, but I'm not sure that that has ever been absolutely confirmed but uh, that's what I thought I mean I think people talk about it but it um, being in the presence of black walnut is uh, what the problem can be and it seems that it's more in the uh, in the bedding product and how that may be a little more uh, connected to the horse because I, I have seen some horses that have uh, decided that the bark of black walnut trees can be a really nice place to uh, work on your, your uh, dental floss activity, <laughs> and we have, and I've not seen them have any problems and they have pretty much uh, worked over the bark on the black walnut tree so I, I suspect it must be something going on once it's actually been turned into uh, a shavings product that, that may just make it more available
0: Interesting. Me, I'm going to let everybody know
3: the results of our
0: poll real quick on what type of stall deodorizer, deodorizer products everybody uses. 19% of you use lime, 17% use sweet PDZ, 6% use stall dry, 13% clean stall, and the largest group 46% don't use any. Um, we're going to move on to <laughs> another question now. Um, how the Sue from Georgia would like to know how often stalls should be stripped and disinfected?
3: I guess that probably depends on how good a stall cleaner you are. Um, I'd probably be stripping stalls maybe once a week. Uh, Certainly you're going to be cleaning them and it it probably also depends on the horse. Um, I have had a horse or two in the barn that uh, essentially daily cleaning equal daily stripping just because they were rather messy and and I don't know that I'm the only one that's ever had one of those horses. I might defer to, to my, my colleagues, uh, particularly our colleague from Florida, on the disinfecting. Uh, it's not something that I've ever done regularly unless I've had to deal with something because I've had a sick horse. If I've just, you know, on a, on a regular basis, day in, day out, uh, keep the stalls pretty clean, maybe wash them down and, and kind of scrub them up to get rid of the, some of the cobwebs and you know the odd bit of manure on the stall wall, but as far as a regular disinfecting, uh, I've not ever been involved in that very much, and I'd be glad to hear what we might get from Florida.
1: Uh, as far as that's concerned, only when there's disease would we would we highly recommend that you use detergents in the barn. Again, going back to air quality uh, ideas, they're putting their nose down in that unless you have it completely air dried before you put them back in there. But uh, there's many products you can use. The most common for you for people to pick up the um, veterinarians have more access to other products but uh, for the uh, horse owners, the Clorox, 1 to 10 Clorox and then the 1 to 40 or 1 to 20 Chlohexidine, which is the Milbasan solution, it's quite costly to clean your entire stall with that solution. But that seems to be a very nice broad spectrum cleaner for stalls, but I would only recommend it if they had some sort of disease process running for their barn. Um, because I, as you said, I don't think there's a high need to do that on a weekly or monthly basis.
3: Well, then, then you've got to dry the straw, stall and, and you're correct, I mean, we're right back to the whole water, air quality and moisture and are we going to generate, give some mold an opportunity to do some things we'd just as soon not do. Right.
0: Atcha. And uh, Matt from West Virginia would like to know if it's important to remove and clean under the stall mats uh, yearly or any on any particular
3: schedule. I think that depends on what you've got your mat over top of. Um, and I notice on the screen because they're extremely heavy and difficult to move. Amen to that. Uh, they are really hard. <laughs> I think if you put it down and it's over a well drained uh, subsurface, I'm not sure that I'm going to be picking them up and moving them a whole lot uh, particularly if I can get them down and get them so that they will stay sealed together. I think probably trying to seal them or getting the mats that actually will link together uh, where I've seen more of a problem is that, that people that don't have a good surface to lay the mats on uh, they end up with more of a problem because the mats start to lift up a little bit because of the unevenness and then we start to get more things under and then I think you do probably have to pick them up, clean underneath it, and re-level that surface so the mat stays where it is supposed to.
0: Gotcha. All right. Um, and we have a question from Marion in Pennsylvania who uses rubber mats and wood shavings. It would like to know if there's, uh, if it's better to dampen those shavings, uh, probably for dust reasons or to keep them dry.
3: I mean they're supposed to be absorbing moisture. I'd like to, to have their capacity. I guess if I had a horse that had a respiratory issue and I was worried about uh, particles in the air, I might dampen them a little bit, but uh, I would think I would want to try to keep my my bedding dry. And and one of the other things is that if we got some damp bedding and we have it in in the corners, that's a great opportunity for that to start to set up and maybe mold a little bit. And we would prefer, at least I would prefer to not have moldy bedding in the stalls. I don't want to be putting moldy bedding in and I don't want to start making it. I think it comes back to uh, the comment about, you know, you might want to dampen your hay to to reduce particles getting into the uh, place where the horse is going to breathe. Uh, you got to remove that damp hay so that it doesn't mold if the horse doesn't consume it all, and I think this is exactly the same thing. I would want to keep my bedding dry uh, and go with that, and if I'm worried about particles getting in the air, I would be looking at what my wood product was and I might try to get something that has a little larger particle size in it to start with.
0: All right, very good. Now I'd like to ask our audience very briefly, what type of bedding do you use in your stalls? Everybody take a minute to vote on that poll and we'll move on a little bit. Joan from Ohio would like to know, um, excuse me, I'm sorry, Lynn from Louisiana has read that lime powder can be dangerous to horses, lime that's often put down to help curb ammonia, Um, and is this true?
3: If you get the wrong lime, yes. Um, there are <laughs> There's lime and then there's lime. Uh, the hydrated lime uh, has been around a long time and I, you don't want to overdo it because uh, it is very drying and it can be pretty caustic, but there are some other limes. Uh, slake lime I think is one of the names for it that is uh, very reactive to moisture uh, and it will burn horses. So uh, you need to know what, what your lime is and I think you use it judiciously to uh, cover up those those wet spots to a degree, it'll help to dry them out a little bit, but uh, I think there's a lot better products other than, than lime to use to actually get that job done. And we've already heard from the listeners that they're already using some of the ones that I think are a little bit better. A lot easier on the horse and they're a lot easier on you.
0: Okay. Very good. We'll take one more question on footing-type issues. Uh, David in Texas would like to know about uh, adding anything to dirt flooring in a run-in shed to help with dust control. We also have a lot of similar questions on should there be any particular bedding in a run-in shed. So let's try to hit both of
3: those. It um, comes back to that whole thing. You know, It depends what you're trying to do. I, I think there's probably some uh, ways to do some things in, in your sheds that you might want to look at. Uh, there's some opportunities, that, they're called high traffic pads that are actually designed with a little more, a uh, little bit bigger uh, particle size in the rock uh, that you can, you know, they drain quite well, um, but anything if it happens to be limestone or a lot of things that you are going to get some dust and some particulates in the air. Uh, I'm not sure that there's very much that you can add to it that isn't going to end up making that floor extremely hard uh, and you may find that the horses don't want to uh, to stand on it. A loafing shed, again it would come back to really what what you're trying to get done. I think you add in bedding, uh, that's more cleaning that you're going to have to do. Now if you're bedding it and you're hoping the horses are going to use it in the winter time in a much colder climate, uh, maybe parts of Oklahoma might fall into that. Uh, you might want to do that, but again you're going to add to uh, more places that you're going to have to clean and I think if I'm just using it as a run-in shed, I'm probably not going to worry very much about bedding it. Uh, But I am going to worry about cleaning it out on a regular basis and trying to keep the floor uh, somewhat neat and tidy.
0: Very good. We're going to try to move on to some questions about temperature. Since we're going into winter, this isn't strictly barn and stall related, but we did have quite a few questions on this. Kathleen from New York would like to know, is there a temperature below which horses should not be outdoors?
1: I uh, love this question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I get so, mu- so much humor coming from Missouri and living in Florida enough for the last 18 years watching people put uh, blankets on their horses when it dips down below 60 degrees here in Florida. And uh, my poor little 20-something-year-old horse had a loafing shed and icicles hanging from his whiskers and never had a blanket on his body one day in his life. Um, in Missouri. So, there's not really a set temperature. Again, I'm going to go back to my environment answer. Do you have a line of trees? Do you have a loafing shed that's locked to wind? Are you in a wet, rainy environment? Are you in a wet, snowy environment? Um, Those kind of things are things that you take into consideration, and you would make adjustments for your horse that would allow them to get out of the weather, per se, either along a line of trees or a gregarious clump of horses that could be out on 40 acres, have very little trees but they use each other. To block the
0: oh, Erin, we're losing you a little bit. Could you get any closer to the microphone by chance? How's that? A little bit that- better. Okay. Sorry about that. I was leaning away. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Not a problem. <laughs> All right. Very good. Um, so so kind of a related question uh, from Catherine in Georgia, another southern state for you. Um, at what temperature should you blanket a horse?
1: It depends. Are you clipping? Are you taking the horse's natural blanket away? If you are, you should probably blanket the horse anytime under 70 degrees or 75 degrees. Uh, the show horses is what I'm talking about. Are you clipping your horse? And if you are, yes, they do need to be blanketed because you've taken their natural blanket away from them. Uh, the other horses, you know, this, I'm just talking about regular horses. I'm not talking about cushing long-haired horses because that's a whole other conversation. Uh, I'm talking about just a regular horse with long hair is fine. You see them in the west out in the snow on the plains with not a tree line. They're using each other to block the wind. They don't need to have a blanket on.
0: Gotcha. And does that answer change at all if it's raining outside or anything like that?
1: All you're doing is adding more weight on that horse. Uh, and I, my, I'm scared of having blankets on horses that are out in the field. I've seen too many horses get hung up on them and um, break something, um, things like that. So I would say I would never blanket a horse unless they are show clipped and you don't want to continue to keep clipping them or because you just clip them and the temperatures drop.
0: Gotcha. And speaking of clipping, we have a question from our, one of our live audience. Uh, Barb would like to know, if it, is it, so then is it healthier for a horse to not clip it in the winter? Are there any reasons it would be healthier to clip a horse in the winter? I suppose would also be that, that question.
1: I don't see any reason to clip a horse in the winter unless you're showing them.
0: Okay. All right, let's move on a little bit to some uh, cleaning issues, some hygiene issues. Uh, Ginger in Kentucky would like to know what bacteria are most prevalent in stalls and how can she prevent them as much as possible? <laughs> well, I
1: have, I have a great article that kind of takes the first two um, topics and this topic all together. It was done in Germany, and it was back in 2008. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Evaluation of Factors That Influence the Generation of Ammonia. In different bedding materials used for horse keeping so they found that the wheat straw pellets were the best to absorb ammonia so decreased your air pollution of ammonia mm-hmm. but they were the highest moisture content so thus they increased on germ amount in your stalls
3: Ooh.
1: very interesting so yes. when you talk about wetting down your your i'm going a little bit off the subject here so when you talk about wetting down your your uh, stalls for the horses that are having respiratory problems you're also adding a little insult to injury there by creating a nice, warm, wet environment for bugs to live. So let's get back to this question. What kind of bugs? There's quite a few of them. They're readily found in all environments, whether you're in dirt or you're on shavings, and there's really no way to prevent them, so you couldn't really sterilize your stall to keep them out.
0: Gotcha. So, and to get as close as possible, if you're clean, if you want to clean out your stall and barn, um, we had a few questions on this, say, after you've had an outbreak of flu or strangles or god only knows what, what is the best way to clean and disinfect it as well as you can?
1: My favorite is the corhexidine solution. It seems to be a good broad-spectrum, any, uh, any bacterial, any fungal, uh, cleaning disinfectant, but it is expensive. It's the powder blue, light blue product that you see on the shelves, the old, um, The old name was, uh, trade name was Novosan. There's a lot of generics that are out now, and it seemed to be the best one, but it is expensive. You still can use Corex and water, and that will help in most cases, especially strangles outbreaks that will work just fine. They have found that the bug itself does not live in the environment more than 10 days. So you can wait 10 days and then undergo horses back in, and the bug should be gone no matter if you disinfect or not.
0: All right, and it, when you're disinfecting the barn, it's important to clean off any organic matter first. Correct?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you want to remove all organic matter before you start applying your um, your uh, products, especially even the chlorhexidine. The organic matter denatures the chlorhexidine immediately.
0: Okay, so you know you've had a horse with diarrhea. He's been spraying the wall of your <laughs> your stall. It's not going to do you any good just to spray chlor- chlorhexidine on it. You got to get that off first.
1: Yeah, scrub it down. Uh, you know, it's like you you wash it first then you scrub, and then you rinse.
0: Gotcha. And now some people, um, I've seen some people use pressure washers installs, but that can aerosolize the bugs, correct?
1: Absolutely, it can, especially when you use the heated water um, attached to them if you have a hot water heater in your barn.
0: Gotcha. So all you're doing is moving them around the barn in that case. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Not such a good idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> gotcha. All right, and I'm going to move on down to, we've got several other questions, and we don't have a whole lot of time left, so we're going to skip down. We've got a question on birds. Uh, Penny in Virginia would like to know, she's got some free-roaming peacocks that like to roost in stalls and, and above her stalls, and are there is there a concern with uh, feces or feathers getting into the horse's hay, feed, water, et cetera? This could also be a good question. So many people have barn sparrows or chickens or anything like that. What about birds and horses?
1: Well, I think you should consider what's said for most kind of problems. Large amount or excessive amount of excrement or organic matter is probably not healthy for anybody. But a few droppings are not going to kill anybody. There's not any known disease at the moment of those that are passing two horses through the hay. Remember they are remember they are defecating on the edges of the fences out there in your pastures.
0: Right. <laughs> you're not gonna get it completely gone in other words.
1: Exactly. They're in the trees and they're defecating on your pastures. So you're still gonna have excrement from birds on your pastures
0: as well. Well you mean you can't put a horse in a bubble? <laughs> when
1: somebody invents that,
0: let me know. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. You'll probably be a lot less busy, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, so uh, just real quickly, I'd like to give the results of our poll on betting. Uh, 72% the vast majority of our audience is betting horses on wood shavings, uh, 20% on wood pellets, 2% on paper, 8% on straw, and 11% on other betting options. We're going to move on to some questions about barn and stall design. Um, Christy in Wisconsin has a couple of questions. She's planning to build a new stable next year. and what's What are some of the main things she should focus on to have the healthiest stalls possible?
3: Well I think it's the comment that we heard earlier. Uh, ventilation, ventilation, and ventilation. Uh, I think that that's probably some of the things that, that we're becoming a, a lot more aware of as an industry. Uh, it wasn't all that long ago that I don't think people really ever thought about uh, ventilation. Um, you know, they may have in in more, you know, in the hotter climates trying to, to keep cool, but, you know, in, in the northern climates when it would get cold, I mean, you spent more time, you know, making sure the barn was as tight as, as it could be to try to keep it warm inside. And I think what we were trying to do is we were trying to keep it warm for us. So I, I would be looking to see that, you know, what can I use, some of the things we've already uh, heard about, you know, good stall fronts that will allow some ventilation, thinking about how I build my stall so I have the best airflow possible for my for the horses, Uh, keeping things like um, if I didn't have a a ceiling directly over top of the stall I think that might be better so that we can actually have some air circulation. Uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, storing a lot of things uh, such as hay and straw or hay and bedding in in the barn. I know that uh, might mean a a different facility, but trying to uh, not have things stored over top of the horses uh, will help you to have a much healthier environment in your in your barn.
0: Right. and some of that storing things over horses leads me into a question from Ruth in Michigan who would like to know what is the highest risk factor for a fire in a barn?
3: Storing flammable things like hay and bedding, (laughs) in the barn. I I think that, uh, and if you probably look at some of the things from the insurance industry, uh, they won't tell you not to do it, but they might be really reluctant to give you insurance to do that and and in a lot of places now we're seeing that, uh, you know, the strong recommendation is anything flammable like your hay and your bedding uh, should be stored in a separate uh, facility, you know, a couple hundred uh, feet away from where you're keeping the horses. Uh, And I think that's the biggest thing is uh, followed up by that would be uh, those people that are trying to do, do the right thing by their horse and they're putting fans in everywhere and they really don't have the electrical service that's suitable to handle all of the things that they're trying to run in the barn or they're not having their electrical service installed in such a way that the horses can't get to it.
0: Gotcha. And uh, we're going to move on to a question from uh, let's see, DB in North Carolina. He says, 12 by 12 stalls seems small. Um, is there a better size?
3: Uh, I would really like to know who came up with the 12 by 12 box stall. Um, <laughs> I, I, I haven't, I mean I don't know that anybody it, it, at one point it used to be a 10 by 10 then it became a 12 by 12. Uh, I think that, you know, it might seem small if you've got really large horses. I I think if you've got some smaller horses that stand 14 two hands tall, a 12 by 12 is probably a reasonable size for them. Uh, I think what we need to do is if we're worried about uh, certainly where they lay down, Uh, I've seen horses out in the pasture lay down right beside a manure pile, so (laughs) you know, that's in a 20 acre pasture, so I'm not sure that, that we can fix that, that's just uh, poor manners on the horse's part. <laughs> but, you know, eat near the manure, I think we need to think about how we're delivering the feed, where we're delivering it, and is there a better way to provide feed for the horses so that we can minimize whether they eat near the manure or not. I used to have a horse that, he used to have manure near where he drank because he used to uh, defecate in the water bucket at least once a week. So. <laughs> And he wasn't very big, and it was a big stall. So uh, <laughs> I agree with you. I, I, I just don't know where 12 by 12 came from.
0: What would be your preference?
3: I, I think 12 by 12 is just fine. I've seen some fairly decent-sized horses that can lay down comfortably. Uh, you know, the bigger the stall you get, uh, the bigger your building going to be, the more expensive it's going to be. And, oh, by the way, more bedding and more cleaning.
0: <laughs> Everything has a consequence.
3: It all does. That. You're going to pay for it one way or the other.
0: Gotcha. All right, Anne from Ohio would like to know what are the safest types of door latches.
3: That is a great question. Um, I think the ones that that don't stick out that you can uh, kind of keep from uh, having them in a place, whereas the horse is coming out isn't going to catch on them. I like some of the ones that that are basically a pin that slide in uh, when you pull them out and slide the door back. Uh, there's also some really Nice latches that are up high that when you close the door they kind of catch and you don't have to worry about them having any exposure to them. I just look at some of those that it's uh, another thing that could potentially break Mm
0: -hmm.
3: and uh, if it breaks with the door shut, it might be hard getting the horses out, but I think you need to really look at horses coming and going and, and what's going to work the best for the barns and the stalls that you have. The biggest thing is, is make sure that uh, sometimes it's just a management thing is uh, we don't like the door latch and we might have an issue with it, but did you have the door completely open and out of the way when you tried to move the horse out of the stall? Gotcha. Being, Being careful. Right.
0: Very good. Well, we'll move on to a question from Jenny in Nebraska who would like to know what your thoughts were on the best building material for a barn. As for hmm. wood or
3: concrete blocks or a metal barn or... I, th- I think any of them are just fine. Uh, I think you want to look at, at dealing with somebody that can help you with the construction so that you build it well, you use really good quality materials, um, you look at, at what the, you're going to do with it. Um, I've seen horses kept in concrete block barns, I've seen wood ones, I've seen a lot of things that typically where they don't work very well is that we haven't been as diligent in in building the barn and using really good quality materials and making sure that the construction is right. Um, I've seen some really nice wood stalls that when the wood started to dry out they start to bend and warp and uh, then all of a sudden we have some issues. So I I think you really just want to look at it uh, there's a lot of really good materials out there. There's some really good, uh, you know, covered plywood for walls that uh, seem to be very durable, uh, resistant to the horses. Uh, probably have to cap some edges so that we can keep those beavers from chewing on them. <laughs> well built, well maintained, and using high quality materials, I think, is what it needs to be. And uh, then it'll be a little bit of what what might be available. And there may be some some. Uh, I don't know about tradition so much, but there's certainly some things that are used typically that uh, work well. Um, I guess I'm probably a little old-fashioned. I kind of like the wood. <coughs> um, I don't know if it's the fact that it's softer if they happen to kick the wall. Um, I don't know, two inch oak plank seems to be pretty hard to me, but a little, little more give to it than maybe a concrete block.
0: Gotcha. And we've got a live attendee, Taylor, would like to know if you are building a wooden barn, is it best to leave the wood unsealed and unpainted? to seal it.
3: Hmm, I would, I think I probably want to, uh, if you're going to seal it, you've got to be a little careful as to to what you use, uh, because if you have one of those beaver horses, uh, there may be some things you don't actually want them chewing on, but I I think I probably want to have it uh, protected to a certain degree so that it uh, is a little easier to, to look after. Just watch what you use.
0: Any recommendations on what to use or what not to use? Uh,
3: Be careful that there's not some of the, you know, the preservatives. I think we've got away from the ones that uh, were certainly carcinogenic for us, but I think you want to be, some of the treated stuff you might not want to uh, have your horses chewing on a whole lot. Treated wood? Yep.
0: Not necessarily steel, okay.
3: Right, but you know the stuff, the pressure treated that's designed so that it won't rot for the next 50 years.
0: (laughs) Right, gotcha. All right. We'll take one more quick question on barn and stall design, and then we're going to try to whip through a couple more questions real quick to touch on a few more topics. We're about out of time, but we'll probably run for just a few more minutes. Um, Jean in Ohio would like to know what uh, is also building a new barn. Is are there any considerations she should include to make it f- particularly friendly for vets and shewers? You know, Aaron might have some comments on vet-friendly to- <laughs> features.
1: Absolutely.
3: <laughs> I think I think this is an this, this is an this is a given. <laughs> And and it's not something that's extra special in the uh, in the construction thing, but think about having a place that's got some room, uh, good floor that's not slippery and uh, well lit. Uh, I actually was in a barn not all that long ago that they actually built a whole sewer end of the barn. Uh, Tremendous lighting, good ventilation, nice place to bring the horses in and a great place and they had really happy horseshoers. And so I think that that have it so that let's deal with the horses in a safe manner that whoever the professional is that's looking at the horse can do their job. So what would you
0: say would be the minimum size for your, I'll say a treatment area, for your vet and your shooer to use?
3: I would probably uh, I'd like it, you know, probably to be in that that 12 by 12, but I I want the one end open. I I wouldn't even mind both ends open. And whether there's sidewalls or not, uh, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be a sidewall. But I'd like to have some room to get around the horse. I want to be able to turn the horse easily if necessary. Um, having worked on one and and they had a dimension that they wanted to use. And I'll guarantee you, if I was the vet or the farrier, I did not want to have to go behind the horses because there wasn't nearly enough room between me and the wall. So I don't know, Aaron. How how big would you like it to be? Twelve
1: by twelve is great with an opening on either end or both ends, depending on what you're doing. And um, the lighting is a very unique comment that you've made. Everybody will put above the area light. That's great, but if they're at dark. It puts a shadow on the lower leg where they've made a laceration or a cut, or if the farrier's working this time of year after 5 o'clock, it gets dark, or 4 o'clock, it's starting to get dark, and he's trying to finish up that shoe. That light above the horse is casting a shadow down on the leg, and he can't see what he's doing. Um, I know a vet clinic that put in some lights in the wall on the lowest section of the two sides of the area so they could light up the legs and the feet to look at them and work on them in the room. It was a really unique feature. They inlaid these lights in the wall, and a really nice feature, a little extra. Um, Again, a good uh, level surface, surface that's not slippery at all. That's the worst that you could have. And, of course, a covering is always nice for the horse, the worker, and the vehicles. So when the rain comes, we can still get our equipment out of the vehicle without pouring on our x-ray machine or things like that. So, And also, back to the run-out area, we don't want to have sugar sand in my area or mucky, wet, four-wheel um, drive type mud to back our vehicle in that's backing into the barn because we get stuck <laughs> and have to pull away. We're going to spit up blood, uh, mud or spit up sand onto your surface and we'll get stuck in more, so yeah.
0: All right, all very good tips. All right, we're going to move on to some feed and water topics. Uh, Catherine would like to know, should hay be fed on the floor or in a hay bag? Or net? Uh, I know we, we have a story about nets from Erin. <laughs> I think
2: my recommendation would be that if possible, to feed the horse on the floor, um, not only because it helps to minimize exposure to dust, but also because with a horse grazing from the ground, that's how they're meant to eat and it also encourages drainage of mucus from the airways. If you must use nets, um, need to make sure that your your hay is of very good quality and consider watering down the hay a bit to uh, minimize um, exposure to, to particulates that are generated while
0: eating. All right. Any other comments on hay?
3: If it's really good quality and, and I mean, we got to be worrying about mold all the time because anything respiratory, uh, it's easier to prevent than it is to cure if you even think you could cure it, which you probably can't. Uh, I, I do worry a little bit about, uh, you know, the fact that then hay gets tromped all over the stall and, and waste becomes a bit of an issue and certainly from a, a cleaning standpoint and, and, you know, trying to keep your stalls clean, it's going to take you a little bit more work. but as soon as you start to confine that hay in a hay feeder, uh, you do need to be cognizant of what you're doing to the air the horse is breathing And um, I think it comes back to buy the best quality mold-free hay that you can.
1: All
2: right. Understand, understand, too, everybody needs to realize that we've measured very high particle concentrations and pulled quite a bit of, of mold. From hay that quite honestly is somebody who's had hay or had horses for over twenty years, I wouldn't consider moldy hay or dusty hay. So it's yeah. got to be really good quality hay. The best good. that you can get.
3: Yep.
0: All right. And I'm going to uh, put up one one last quick poll for our audience. Uh, what time of year are stall and barn odors uh, the most noticeable? And we'll move on to another question uh, from Catherine, who would like to know what's the best placement for uh, feed and water buckets, stall doors, opposite stall doors, etc. I guess I don't have, I'd, I'd like to ask the others
2: opinions on that one. I don't I don't really have an opinion on that other than it needs to be in a place that horses can access readily but um, can be kept free of I guess contaminants while while the humans are are feeding and cleaning and and so forth.
3: I think there's got to be some convenience and and certainly safety. Uh, if you're if you're going in the stall, uh, you've got an aggressive horse, you might be able to deal with it but if you've got somebody that may be helping you, I mean think a little bit about um, the convenience and the safety of uh, for the horse and and the people feeding it, and uh, making sure that it's at a comfortable place for the horse to eat.
1: All right. So so safety was definitely something we're thinking of, and also you have to consider the horses next door. Again, that's the comfort to eat. Are mm-hmm. they getting along with the horse next door or not? Maybe you need to move it to the other side of the stall because they're constantly kicking the wall at each other.
0: Sure. I'd like to uh, bring up one other thing about buckets that we've discussed a lot, uh, that I've heard discussed a lot in ophthalmology presentations and whatnot, and that is the, uh, the hooks on buckets for the, where the handles attached to them. And Erin and I have talked about that a little bit. Erin, can you address that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. Um, most, I would say nine out of time, ten times the eyelid lacerations, sorry, eyelid lacerations <laughs> are caused from those hooks on the buckets. There's little uh, rubber tips that the buckets are sold with. And those tips tend to fall off over time, and people don't realize that they make a sharp edge on that little uh, U-shaped handle or J-shaped handle that you're hanging your bucket uh, with. And uh, you, you can cover those back up with duct tape or electrical tape if you have to. And I do think they sell those rubber tips again, but the tapes are quick and easy to do. They uh, keep them covered. Those are very deadly to the face of the horse.
0: Very good point. All right. Tommy from Kentucky has a question about what is the best way to keep water from freezing installs?
3: Move to Florida.
0: <laughs> That's cheating. We can all live in Florida. <laughs> oh, come on. We
1: did have a thin layer of ice this past winter because we had a very uh-uh. rough winter for us. We had a thin layer of ice on some of our water buckets this past year. And
0: what time did it melt by?
1: Uh, oh,
0: oh, we took them out, we, we knocked oh. them out. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, had good ice. Okay, fair
3: yeah. enough. <laughs> I, I think it's just part of uh, having water in the, you know, I, I, you're going to deal with it. Um, I try to, I would try to, you know, have the water. <clears throat> we used to try putting warm water in. I don't know that that made any difference, much of a difference, other than it probably got the horses to drink a little better. and. Uh, so at least they were getting some water. I think what you end up doing is you're just going to have to uh, replenish those water sources more frequently, bang the buckets, get the ice out of it, and and move on because you know when it gets to be cold and and you know Tommy's from Kentucky, it can get a little bit cold here in the winter time but uh, You get up into Michigan and Wisconsin and we've had uh, questions from Ontario and Alberta, I will guarantee you that it gets cold up there and in the barn unless you're heating it, uh, water's gonna freeze.
0: And what's your preferred options for heating it?
3: For heating the water Mm -hmm. or the barn?
0: No, the water. <laughs> you have any preferred bucket heaters or drain plug heaters for water troughs or anything like that?
3: Not that I've had much, much success. Water troughs outside, I've, I've used the floatable uh, stock tank heaters. Uh, what you have to do with those is you need to cover your, your water trough um, and, and limit the exposed water surface to the horses and that way you can suspend that heater back underneath the wooden platform or whatever you're going to use for your cover wood works really quite well so that the horses don't play with the water heater because they will. And uh, that works probably about the best is some of those floatable heaters uh, do not a bad job, but there again, you've got to protect all of the electrical cords that run to that heater. You're probably going to need to run them through some conduits so the horses can't get to them. And you also need to make sure that they're grounded properly and they are working correctly.
0: Very good. And, of course, horses need to have a constant water supply to reduce the risk of impaction, colleague. Yep. And more likely to happen in the winter. Um, we have a question from a member of our live audience. Don would like to know if a continuous water supply in this situation may be good or bad. I'm thinking in terms of an automatic water supply versus just having a standalone bucket.
3: It, it probably would, but if it's in a barn where it's going to be cold, you're going to have to have a heater in it. Okay. Uh, unless you you can really regulate the intake and if it's a single water source for a horse in a stall, you're probably not going to be able to get Good enough water flow. Now there are some that uh, are basically kind of an in-ground system that drain back, they're almost like a frost-free hydrant that Mm -hmm. if when the horse activates it the water will come up and and they don't freeze as readily. Uh, So there are a lot of different options, you just need to see what you can put in and I think some of the the newer options that, that I think have some potential probably are more for new construction. I'm not sure that you could add them easily into a uh, stall barn that's already you know got the floors in and and everything done because you do have to bury your water lines and and again you've got to protect your water lines from the horses.
0: Gotcha. And uh, we have a Pardon me, got a little distracted by a different question. Um, do horses drink, this is just related to drinking, um, and Aaron and I talked about this a little bit in our radio show yesterday. Do horses drink cold water as long as the ice is gone or do they really need to heat the water in terms of what the horse will drink in temperature?
3: Slightly warmed, but we're talking about 39 degrees versus 32 degrees which is freezing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will help quite a bit. Uh, you know, you look at it and, uh, you know, chopping the ice out of a out of a trough and then, and letting them break, that, I mean that water's going to be awfully cold and I think what you find is that they greatly reduce their water intake and then as you already mentioned, then we start to see a higher incidence of uh, impaction colic because they're not just, they're not getting enough water. You don't have to get it really hot. In some of the uh, the heaters that will go in the automatic waters that you'll see outside, Uh, You do need to make sure that they're working correctly. Uh, I've actually seen them where they've inadvertently been turned up high enough that the water was almost boiling. Oof. (laughs) And do you know what? The horses weren't drinking it because I think it was just a tiny bit too hot. I can understand. So so you do need to to make sure that, that everything that you're doing, that it's working the way it's supposed to
0: for sure. And uh, another, another thing about having a continuous water supply and heated versus cold and all this kind of wraps into as well, how much is your horse drinking? And it's a little bit hard to tell if you're not monitoring those buckets or if you have an automatic water supply, correct?
3: It is. Um, I, I'm not sure that, that some of us do as good a job monitoring those buckets <laughs> as we should, but uh, I, I think at least it does give you a bit of an idea.
0: Sure. And Aaron, isn't that one of the first things you ask if you see a colic in the winter is how much your horse has been drinking?
1: Absolutely, and those automatic waters are just a nightmare to deal with because you cannot tell how much they drank unless you have a meter on it, and they do sell them with meters.
0: Can you add those to a system later on if you have an existing automatic water system? Yes, you can.
3: Oh, very good. And they they actually work quite well.
0: Yes, I love them. (laughs) So how much should your horse be drinking daily?
3: Enough. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Probably six to ten gallons.
0: I
1: was going to say ten gallons would be good.
3: And, right. and I'd want him to have 10 gallons available to him if he decides to only drink eight. That's his. It might be his choice, but I, I agree with Aaron. I'm, have lots. <laughs> Very I have good. lots.
0: Alright, we're going to, the results of our poll on what time of year or stall and barn odors more noticeable in your barn, uh, 52% of you say it's in the summer, uh, 29% in the winter, after that all year round for 13% of you, 4% in the fall, and 2% in the spring. Alright, we're going to go on to one more question, sort of related to water. Um, what's the best way to keep mud down in heavily traveled areas, inside or in outdoor paths?
3: I'm a big fan of hype they're called high traffic pads and it's basically you uh, excavate the area that is going to be the high traffic area probably down to uh, you know some, some firm clay, some firm soil, get rid of the topsoil. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, if you were in an area that you had really deep topsoil, I'd probably stop at about a foot, uh, put down uh, geotextile fabric and then use a combination of some larger rock uh, probably some rocks that are about the size of a, of a clenched fist for about six inches, and then I would use some very much finer material on top of that. Uh, here in Kentucky, we call it dense grade ag- aggregate, and it's kind of a mixture of some smaller stones and some limestone d- dust. And you put that down on top; it does a really nice job of allowing the water to go through. Uh, and it really keeps down the mud. And and I think that depending on where you live, uh, find out what the rock will be because there is a whole language of rock depending on on state to state and quarry to quarry. But I think those really work well. Put them around your gates. Some people are worried about the horses standing on rock that it's going to bother their feet. My experience is uh, that doesn't typically will occur and all good horsemen are cleaning their horses feet out once a day anyway, so uh, shouldn't be much of an issue. Uh, they're easy to clean the, the manure off, they're a great place if you do have to keep some horses up, uh, a place where you can feed and then get back in and actually easily clean it off the top of that rock, but uh, the high traffic pads, and I think most extension services probably have a plan for a high traffic pad. Just because it says it's for cows does not mean you can't use it for your horses. (laughs) And I'll guarantee you the ones that we've built, when I can walk out in January when we've got mud here and not worry about losing my boots as I'm catching horses at at the gate, I think they're wonderful. They also help you to keep shoes on horses. Excellent.
0: All right. Well, that uh, we are over time, but I think we've covered all the topics that we wanted to hit. uh, I'd like to ask our panelists, are there any major points about healthy barns and stalls that you'd like to make to our audience before we wrap up?
2: One thing that we didn't talk about, which is
0: a lot of people like to
2: um, clean their stalls into manure spreaders with tractors running, particularly in the winter. They don't want to shut their vehicles off for fear that they won't start. That, in combination with closed doors and windows, will generate a pretty high concentration of diesel exhaust within your within your stables, which is not good for you or the horses. <laughs> that said, too, with your veterinarians and your farriers, don't let them drive in the barns and leave their vehicles running. Please ask them to shut them off, because that you've got the same effect with, with that as well. Four-wheelers, dragging arenas, all that kind of stuff. Just just turn them off while they're in the barn.
0: That's excellent points. Excellent points. And anyone else? Nope. All right, well, I'd like to thank everybody for uh, for coming to this session and especially thank Dr. Denny Jones, uh, Dr. May, and Dr. Coleman for their, their time today and answering everyone's questions. And I'd like to thank our audience for participating, you sent us some great questions, I'm sorry we weren't able to get to all of them. Um, we just we had a little over 300, so I apologize, we couldn't get to quite that many. Um, but I would like to let everyone know that this session, the recording of this session will be archived shortly on thehorse.com in the next few days. And last but not least, I'd like to offer thanks to Sweet PDZ for bringing this free session everyone today, or you can visit them online at www.sweetpdz.com. Everyone, I hope you have a wonderful evening and that you go away from here with some tips for a healthier stalls and a healthier barn.